Thanks for checking out this sermon from Christ the King in Carrollton, Georgia, where our goal is to glorify God by making, training, and sending disciples to engage our neighbors and the nations with the gospel of Jesus. If you want to learn more about us, you can find us online at ctkcarrollton.com, or better yet, join us on a Sunday in Carrollton. Journey well um, as uh, as the uh, expectation is to finish within the next uh, the next three or four weeks, and so um, so hang with us. We're almost uh, we're almost there. We're almost to the end, man. Relationships are really enjoyable, aren't they? Like, I mean, we all enjoy uh, healthy relationships. Perhaps for uh, many of you, if you are if you're new to Carrollton, uh, maybe you're you're meeting new people, right? You have new relationships forming. Um, I'm glad that you're here this morning in the midst of that because there's something that is uniquely beautiful about relationships around the gospel together, right? Um, There is opportunity for you to build the types of relationships with those in this room that um, really our hearts have been longing for and desiring. They're the strongest types of relationships that we can really experience on this side of eternity, right? Now, of course, we still live in a a fallen world. We live in a broken world and we are um, held captive by broken bodies, right? Uh, But uh, on this side of eternity, these types of relationships that we build, that we are able to build, that God builds as we gather together around his word, um, it's just, it's super, it's super great. And so I say that because we've been building a relationship around uh, God's word in uh, the gospel according to Genesis uh, for the better part of a year now. And so um, it's bittersweet in that like we are, uh, we're drawing near and where are we going to turn in our Bibles after we finish up with the book of Genesis, right? If you're, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, Genesis is pretty easy, right? Because it's the first one. Uh, but where are we going next? We're going to have to work a little bit harder to, to, to find it perhaps. So um, that being said, we should all be in Genesis uh, Genesis 46 at this point. What I want to do as we open up our time is to review and, and really close out what we observed from Genesis 45. Because if you were here last week, you know that I didn't get done, okay? At the same time, I kind of stepped back this week and I looked at what we had left and then I looked ahead to Genesis 46 and I was like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kind of catch us up. I'm just going to uh, literally just wrap up Genesis 45, close it out, say some things that need to be said, and then we're going to transition into uh, Genesis 46. So uh, let's revisit quickly Genesis 45. This is extra uh, for those who, who may be here for the first time this morning. Um, yeah, we see this beautiful picture of, uh, of of reconciliation and true redemption taking place within the context of human relationship in Genesis 45. Now, it's not complete. We actually see its completeness brought about um, in Genesis 46. But in Genesis 45, the cat is let out of the bag and, uh, and Joseph's true identity is revealed to his brothers. All right, his, his brothers who had sinned against him and against God and against their father all those years earlier when they uh, sold their, uh, their brother Joseph into slavery, which led to this transition down into the land of Egypt where through much hardship, God displayed perseverance uh, and persistence with his plan as Joseph rises to this incredible position of power. 
that leads to this divine encounter that takes place in Genesis 45. The brothers of Joseph, uh, fearing starvation and desiring food for themselves and for their family, venture into Egypt. And long story short, they come to know um, at that point the true identity of their brother. And they are left terrified. In fact, in Genesis 45, it talks about how they were so shocked, they were so surprised, they didn't even know what to say. Like they were beyond words, right? Likely preparing themselves for a beatdown beyond imagination given their sin. Only that's not what happened, right? Instead, we see this, this beautiful scene in which, in which Joseph, having revealed his identity, brings his brothers close and they, they cry with one another, they weep with one another. Before Joseph sends his brothers back to retrieve his father. Let's pick up in verse 16. I want to read this just for context. Verse 16 through 28. And I'm going to just provide a few points of commentary along the way. Okay. And so we didn't read this just a moment ago, but we're going to go back and we're going to, and we're going to read it now. Verse 16. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, that is that Joseph's brothers had returned and like there is this, this weepy reconciliation fest to taking place in the residence. Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. We said this is a a redemptive story that is so amazing, that is so beautiful, that even Pharaoh himself can't help but to take notice and to to, to smile, right? Um, to, To smile about what has taken place. Verse 17. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan. Take your father and your households and and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. You were on borderline starvation and now the, the fat of the land is promised. Verse 19, and you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods for the best of the land of Egypt is yours. Man, what a surprise. Verse 21, the sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them, he gave a change of clothes. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father, he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he said to his brothers, away. And as they departed, he said to them, do not quarrel on the way. All right, there's this, there's this realization from Joseph's perspective that human tendency is to revert back into previous practice, right? We're familiar with this. We understand what this looks like. Joseph says, what has just taken place is a gift from the Lord, right? This is an act of grace. The fact that our family has been healed is miraculous, As a result, don't mess it up, (laughs) okay? Don't mess it up by getting in a fight on the way home, right? That's Joseph's Joseph's parting uh, words to his brothers as they prepare to venture back to the land of Canaan, retrieving their father and all of his family and bringing them back with them. Verse 25, so they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. 
and they told him. I mean, Joseph is alive. Not only that, but he is the ruler over the land of Egypt and his, his heart became numb for he did not believe them. It's as though he totally disassociated himself from, from even entertaining the idea that his, his favorite son right, might actually be alive. His heart was numb. Verse 27. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, and the spirit of their father Jacob revived, right? We get this picture of, a, of kind of this, just this dead, broken spirit, right? This, this, this weighed down spirit. And yet in this moment, there is this revival that takes place. His, his spirit is uplifted. Verse 28, and Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Now, why do we go back and revisit the tail end of Genesis 45 as we prepare to go on into Genesis 26? Because that line at the very end is really important for us in understanding Right, the thought process and the mentality of Jacob as he hears news of Joseph being alive, knows his location, and prepares to depart to go and to see him. We need to get that as we come into Genesis 26, as we see God's people preserved in Egypt. That's what we're talking about this morning, the preservation of God's people in Egypt. We're going to structure our time around three observations. So this would be really helpful for you to make note of. In your phone, on old-fashioned pen and paper, right, style, if that is kind of, uh, if that's your rhythm. Here we go. Three observations that we're going to structure our time around. First, worship observable in Genesis 46. Worship, right? I'll just give you the words, right? Worship, followed by confirmation and comfort, followed by reunion. This is the rhythm. Worship, confirmation and comfort, and then there is this reunion at the tail end. We're going to spend as I think is typical, a lot of time talking about this first observation. You guys know me all too well, right? So here's what I mean by that. We're going to spend the next like 25 or 30 minutes talking about worship, and then I'm going to scramble to get us through the end so that next week we can go on to verse, uh, chapter 47. So worship, let's look there. Let's begin there. So we've heard what happens at the conclusion of Genesis 45. Now we, we, we kind of step over into Genesis 26. Look with me at verse 1. Here's what we see. So Israel, as Jacob, took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, to which Jacob responds, here I am, verse three. Then he said, I am God. The God of your father, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for there. I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then verse five. Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones and their wagons in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan and came into Egypt. Jacob and all of his offspring with him. 
His sons, his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him to Egypt. There it is, right? There's the, there's the first few verses. Now let's step back and let's unpack them just a little bit. We see in verse 1 this shift to a super familiar location. Maybe you, maybe you caught it as we look at verse 1, right? Beersheba. For those of us who are maybe familiar with the book of Genesis, if you've ever read through the book of Genesis, if you've been with here, uh, here with us through the book of Genesis, this is a location that we have heard some about. This is in fact the, the same place that Abraham made his covenant with Abimelech way back in Genesis 21, which I think I might have tried to take us to this morning. This is the same place that we see one of the most clear pictures of faith along with confidence in resurrection from the dead as Abraham shows, displays his willingness to sacrifice his son Isaac, all in obedience to the instruction of the Lord. This is the same place where in Genesis 26, Isaac meets with God before being assured three times of his being with him, a practice that would remain common from God to his people. In Genesis 28, while on the run, following his deception of his father and theft of his brother's birthright, we see Jacob himself in this area where he has this incredible dream, this really vivid dream of of angels ascending and descending on this ladder between heaven and earth. And it's here in Genesis 28 that God, for the first recorded time in Jacob's life, assures him also of his presence as he makes his way into the land and the refuge of his uncle Laban. And now in Genesis 46, we see Jacob having been encouraged to leave behind the land that the Lord had promised his grandfather Abraham And his father Isaac entering into Beersheba once again with what we can only imagine is a certain amount of confusion and even fear of what might await he and his family as they travel down into Egypt. I took a little bit of time this past week to, to consider some of the questions perhaps that, um, that Jacob would have been wrestling with because I think there is a wrestling that's taking place here. Which might be really surprising given what we saw from the last verse of Genesis 45. What are some of the questions maybe Jacob's wrestling with? Well, I mean, we're humans. We can relate with this. You probably are considering questions that you yourself might be asking if you were encouraged to leave the place that you knew to travel into a place that you didn't know. Right? How will I be received upon my arrival? What's the response of the people going to look like as we march into town? What will the response of the authorities look like? Jacob is certainly wrestling with whether or not he is doing the right thing in going. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. Why though, right? Well, maybe one of the questions he's asking himself is, will my sons be okay? Right? If you remember kind of what we've, what we've observed about these brothers, 
these sons, it is that they have this certain inclination toward evil, right? They have this certain inclination toward wickedness. We said last week and the week before that many commentators believe that this land of Goshen is set aside and identified for this family to dwell in because because Joseph himself is familiar with the dangers of residing in Egypt. Yes, the Lord has proven his faithfulness in bringing him into this position of power that has served to suppress death and to elevate life. But, but we made note last week of this, this, uh, this fairly, um, fairly accepted belief that there was some pagan practice that began to, that began to creep into Joseph's life. And as a, as a result, he desires that his family would reside a safe distance away from such temptation. Are my sons going to be okay? Will, will this Egyptian pagan practice prove to be too enticing for them? Spiritually, is this a good decision for us? Like, is this going to be okay? And what's going to happen to me when I die? <laughs> right? I am, I'm old, right? This is the conversation that, of course, Jacob is having within himself because I am not, <laughs> right? What's going to happen when if I die, right? Because this is not where my people will be. These are all questions, that I think it would be fair to say that Jacob is perhaps considering. But, but most importantly, the following question. How does God feel about this move? How does God feel about, about me and my family journeying on down into Egypt? This question, based on Jacob's movement alone, is clearly dominating his thought at this point. As he considers God's desire for his life, as he contemplates whether or not to go, which I believe he is still wrestling with at this point, based on what God says to him through this vision. Genesis 45, last verse, my son is alive, let's go. Only there appears to be some level, some degree of hesitation as we come into chapter 46. Why? Here's why. Things have never gone well for this family when they venture outside of the land. Things have never gone well. In fact, we see Abraham sending his most faithful servant to find a bride for his son, as opposed to allowing his son to leave the land himself. In Genesis 26, the Lord says to Isaac, do not go down to Egypt. Why? Well, because this is the place, Canaan, this is the land that I have set aside for you. So all of this, all of these details assist in shaping our understanding of this sequence of events. And the struggle Jacob is going through here. On one hand, you have my son is alive and I want to see him before I die. One hand. On the other hand, my desire is first and foremost to be where God would have me to be. Right? My desire first and foremost is to be obedient to the Lord. Now think about what this means in terms of practicality within the context of this circumstance. My son is alive and I want to go see him. But above all things, my desire is to be obedient to the Lord. 
As a father, I think I can connect with this conundrum now better than I could five years ago. Because, as many of you know, I am a father. We have, we have two children. We have a three-year-old and we have a nine-month-old. And things are always crazy and always interesting at our house. But I've found myself in, in recent months settling into a certain practice each evening. Uh, each night before I go to bed, Judah goes down a little bit earlier uh, than we do because he's three, although not a lot earlier. So, I mean, wow, that's kind of impressive. But anyway, um, he goes down before we do. And um, each night before I go to bed, I find that I, I typically venture into his room to check on him twice. While he's asleep, like he's sleeping Now, sometimes I'll, I don't know, like selfishly, like try to wake him up a little bit. Like Judah, like kind of like startle him away. Oh, what? And I'm like, are you okay? And he's like, uh, I was. Now I'm kind of terrified. What's going on here, right? Because I want to check on him. I want to see him, right? I, I cover him up. I want to make sure he's safe. I want to make sure he's warm, like, but not too warm, right? That kind of thing. I can't imagine... Presuming him to be dead, only then to hear that he is alive. Not only that, but he's only roughly 150 miles away and not going. I can't walk to the bathroom at night without going into his room to see him, to see Judah. And yet here we see this this desire from Jacob, first and foremost, to be where the Lord would have him, right? To to seek the face of the Lord, to seek the counsel of the Lord, to seek the wisdom of the Lord. There are commentators who believe that, that Jacob made a point to stop and to spend time in this area, understanding its historical significance, having experienced its historical significance in order to worship the Lord and to seek his guidance as to how he ought to move forward. I was having a great conversation at multiple points throughout this week about our tendency to venture into familiar places and a lot of the emotions that arise when we, when we do such things, right? Maybe even in seasons of, of doubt and question and concern to go to a familiar place or to go to a familiar person and to seek wisdom, right? To seek insight, to seek counsel. Here, Jacob, aware and intimately acquainted with this, with this place, right? In which God has previously spoken to him and provided encouragement and, and comfort and direction and assurance. Wrestling with what to do goes back to the same place. I've been in Beersheba before. And there, the Lord was super faithful to to shine light and to provide insight as to what I ought to do as I go forward. And so here I am, I'm hanging out in the land of Canaan. News has arrived that my son is alive. I'm going to Beersheba. I'm going to Beersheba because I need to seek the face of the Lord. Like I need counsel from the Lord. Jacob is afraid and he is uncertain as to how he is to proceed. Not because he lacks strong desire, but because he recognizes that his desire is not king. Right? His desire is not wearing the crown. Of course, Jacob desires to go and see his son. Of course, Jacob desires to venture on down into the land of Egypt. Of course, he's terrified 
But naturally, his desire would be that. But there's this recognition that God is king. Right? God is king. And then he dictates and he, he lays the pieces where he so desires. Jacob desires to go, but his desire cannot ultimately dictate. You talk about a practical point of takeaway and application for you and I. Right? Like our desires cannot ultimately dictate. We observe that from Jacob's posture and his position here. He desires to go, but my desires do not wear the crown. God does. And so I now put myself in this position to hear from the Lord, right? That he might provide wisdom as to how I ought to proceed. There's a lot of, a lot of feelings going on here, right? There's a lot of feels going on here in these first few verses. What we find is that these, these opening verses and in all of these feels, all these feelings serve to drive Jacob to God. His fear drives him to God. His uncertainty drives him to God. In this emotionally charged moment, Jacob's response is to what? It's to worship. Right? It's, to, it's to sacrifice and to, and to worship. He worships out of a heart of gratitude. After all, Joseph is alive. Perhaps there's, a, there's an articulation of, of commitment, a vow of sorts to the Lord. Something like this, God, you are good and you are more faithful than I could have even imagined. Why? Well, because you have been working behind the scenes to bring about your divine purposes when I presumed my son to be dead. He has been alive all of these years. And it wasn't I who was meeting his needs, but it was you who was meeting his needs. And now, interestingly enough, you are meeting the needs of your people and the nations through this son whom you preserved. I read a, a, a quote that I had written in my Bible at some point. I don't know, I don't know who it was from. Um, I don't know if it's an original thought, although there really are no original thoughts. And so um, scratch that. Everything is recycled. But it, it said this. I wrote this down at one point. Right, that, that knowing the truth about God enables us to trust him. Knowing the truth about God enables us to trust him, even when we don't understand the circumstances of life. Let me say that one more time. Knowing the truth about God enables us to trust him, even when we don't understand the circumstances of life. Perhaps this week you saw this really powerful um, excerpt of an interview between Stephen Colbert and Anderson Cooper. Now, what you think about either one of those individuals is not the point of this conversation. But if you were able to watch the clip, what you saw was this really um, just authentic Really transparent conversation around pain and compassion. And in this, in fact, one of the opening statements made uh, by Stephen Colbert uh, had to do with, with trusting the Lord and the Lord's kindness and compassion and his grace, even in the midst of difficulty and suffering. Knowing the truth about God, it enables us to trust him. Here we see 
We see Jacob see the face of the Lord. We see him worship the Lord. We see him sacrifice to the Lord. Because Jacob knows who God is. And he trusts God. He trusts in the character of God. He trusts in the, in the nature of God. He trusts in the instruction of God. And thus he, he sacrifices right, and offers this vow perhaps to the Lord. All right, I am, I am yours. Whatever you would have me to do, whatever you would have us to do. If you tell me to go, we're going to go. If you tell me to stay as much as I want to go, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to stay. I am yours. This is the statement, right, that we, that we observe being made by way of, of Jacob's practice. The question that we have to ask ourselves is this. Are we emulating actions similar to Joseph's, to Jacob's here? Are we emulating actions similar to Jacob's here? Right, have, you, have you seen God's care for you? This is a question. I want us to all touch base. I want you to consider this. Have you, have you seen God's care for you? Right, primarily through Christ. Have you, have you seen his grace toward you leading, producing a response of worship? Committing in the face of fear and uncertainty your life to God in any and every way. Looking to his purposes above all things. This is what it looks like to submit to God as our shepherd. Have you ever heard of God spoken of in this, in this context, right? These are, God is, a, is our shepherd, right? He leads us and he, he guides us. He makes us to rest in fields of, of green with quiet streams. Even when we walk through the valley, Man, he is with us. Here, Jacob worships God, and his worship is inspired by God's faithfulness to save his son. Now, let's make a gospel connection here for just a moment. All right, interestingly enough, right, in, in light of God's faithfulness to save his son, inspiring Jacob's worship on this side of redemptive history, our worship is most informed by God's faithfulness not to save his son, but to crucify him. Our worship is, is most informed by God's faithfulness not to save his son, but to slay him so that sinners might know and, and love and worship him with new hearts. Man, for our sake and the glory of his name, only then to what? To bring Jesus back to life, assuring forgiveness for sinners is found in him. Listen to this. Let's connect with the larger narrative for just a moment. In the, in the same way that Joseph's brothers stand guilty before him. We saw this in chapter 44. We saw this in chapter 45. We stand guilty before God. His law exposes this. In the same way that Joseph's brothers are left with no other option but to rely entirely on his mercy, so too we are totally reliant on God's compassion. We learn something through Jacob's actions here that shine light on the why of our worship. Why are we here? <laughs> You're like, I have no idea. I'm asking myself that same question, <laughs> right? Why are we here? What are we doing? We are gathering to worship and enjoy God. 
his persistence to save Right, we we to borrow lyrics from our our dear friends, our brothers of the sing team. Right, we sing praises to God who reigns above, the God of all creation, the God of power, the God of love, the God of our salvation. What is it that inspires our position? What is it that inspires our posture? What is it that leads us to slay said desire and instead to crown God's direction on our lives and in this world as king? And it's the fact that he saves us. He rescues us from death and its ultimate sting and hell and eternal separation. He draws us into community and fellowship with himself. He gifts us with beautiful relationships with one another. Our God is good and he saves us. He fills our souls with cease with sweet reliefs and he makes our faithless murmurs cease. This is the process that God is working out in Jacob. And this is the process that God is working out for Jacob. His people who are reading the writing of Moses for the first time. And for you and I who continue to benefit from the preservation of his word. Man, we this morning give glory to God that he has so preserved his word. That we might gather before it. That we might gather around it. That we might hear from him. We find here, right in Genesis 46... That worship of God is not dictated by how things are going in one's life. If this is true, then it would mean that there are seasons in which worship of God is appropriate. And seasons in which perhaps it is not. What we know is that worship of God is always the appropriate and desired response. Listen to what Paul says in his letter to the Romans. We see him writing in this same stream as he encourages Christians in the region toward this same response of adoration for God. We're building a case here. In case anybody wants to know what's going on right now, we're building a case for worship and adoration of our king. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 he says this he says i appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of god to what to present your bodies as a living sacrifice this is what we see taking place here in genesis 46 Jacob is is offering himself to the Lord. Paul continues, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is Jacob doing here in the first few verses of Genesis 46? He is seeking the will of the Lord. He's seeking the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. We find Jacob in a familiar scene in Genesis 46. And none of this is coincidence. There's this beautiful balance observable here between God's sovereignty and Jacob's desire. God is aware and has divinely appointed this moment. At the same time, Jacob is desiring to worship God for his goodness. The same God worshipped by all the patriarchs. 
right? He's desiring God's guidance. He is desiring him to order his steps. And as a result, he comes first to Beersheba because it was here that he heard from him in a previous season. Jacob desires the wisdom of the Lord because this is the heart that God has shaped in him. We don't necessarily shape this within ourselves. Now, there are certain things that we can do that certainly foster shaping. If you're here this morning, you're off to a great start. Gathering together with God's people, God is faithful to as we are gathered together as his people. Saints who have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus under the authority of his word. Right, Laying ourselves before him, requesting that by the power of the spirit, he would make us new. God is is faithful to form this heart within us. We we go to God's word. We gather with God's people. We submit ourselves to his authority and his desire. All of this serves to further shape this heart that God has given to us. And in response, God reveals himself to Jacob in a vision, at which point we transition. So we've spent up until this point talking about worship. Right? And what, what inspires this and what this looks like. Right? Maybe, maybe we're having right now our idea of what it looks like to worship God. Maybe like, like molded or refined or sanded down or peeled back. Or maybe just tossed out altogether and we go, wow, I didn't know this is what it looked like to worship God. But, but I think I'm down. I think I'm on board with this, which is incredible. We're super glad for that. Worship. We transition now into this idea of confirmation and comfort. A vision that the Lord gives to Jacob. Look with me at verse 2. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night. And he said, Jacob, Jacob. To which Jacob responds, here I am. (laughs) Here I am. Then he said, I am God. The God of your father, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for there. What does he say? I will make you into a great nation. We're seeing this further unpacking of Genesis chapter 12, verse two. The promise is, is first provided. Now we have this new insight. We have a location, don't we? Up until this point, again, what have we been, some, some questions perhaps that we've been asking. God makes this promise and years and years and years and years and years pass. And we see numbers begin to rise. But when is this to be fulfilled? When is this to happen? When is this to be accomplished? Man, God says here, in Egypt, there I will make you into a great nation. That had to be a shocking statement from God to Jacob. But he follows it up with this, verse 4. I myself will go down with you to Egypt. And I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then, and only then, man, Jacob set out from Beersheba. Where's he going? Well, the the latter parts of this chapter provide us insight. He's He's going to Egypt. God speaks to Jacob, confirming for him his identity. I am God. How comforting are these words? He provides for him his identity. He provides for him his comfort and direction. What does he say? He says, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. There is this change in attitude. 
toward the patriarchs traveling to Egypt, right? Indicating that the Lord is, is following a specific plan with regard to his people. Before it was don't go down to Egypt. Now it's time we're going down to Egypt. Number three, not only do we see his identity, his comfort and direction, but we see his continued commitment to his covenant promise. What does he say? He says, I will make you into a great nation. We continue on and he, he provides confirming this promise of his presence. What does he say? He says, I myself will go down with you. What do we learn about who God is? Here it is, right? God is with his people. God is, is with his people. God was with Jacob in Mesopotamia. Right? He, was, he was with his people in Canaan and now he will be with his people in Egypt. This is a dramatic shift in perspective. Maybe even for you and I gathered here this morning. Are you aware of the heart of God? Right? Are you familiar with the heart of God? Are you, are you aware of the presence of God with his people? Here he promises his presence. We on this side of redemptive history, again, have insight as to what this looks like. God is with us here in this place. That is powerful, right? And God goes with us as we leave this place. Why? Well, because we are indwelt with his presence. His spirit lives within us. He calls us into fellowship with himself. And then he provides us with his spirit who gives us strength to live this Christian life and to love the Lord and to love our neighbors. Totally transforming everything. We see here that, that the presence of God knows no territorial boundary. Right? It doesn't matter where you go, I'm going with you, God says. Not only that, but, but Jacob is comforted in the divine work of God even after his death. What does he say? He says, this doesn't rely on you. This isn't dependent on you. It's dependent on me. How do we know that? How do we see that? Well, listen to what he says. He says, I will bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Death is inevitable. But know right, that, that my work continues. Right, that, that I will I will bury the messenger, but the message will persist. Right? I'll bury the messenger, but the mission will persist. This is amazing. And I think that there's a sense in which we can hear this, and as we kind of begin to to, to close, right? We hear this and maybe we feel a bit of jealousy, right? We feel a bit of envy and we begin to ask ourselves questions like this. Man, God spoke to Jacob here in this really incredible way through this vision. Um, I wish that I had a vision from God. Why can't I have a vision from God? Like, why doesn't he speak to me the same way? And we look at this passage and we go, I would like to be in Jacob's position. Man, let us not open that can of worms, okay? Let's not go there. Let's just fight that temptation. Because again, we've already expressed gratitude to the Lord this morning for the preservation of his word. The reality is that we have something here, or maybe it's, maybe it's here for you, right? Um, not your phone, right? Your Bible on your phone. Let's just be clear about what we're talking about here, right? Um, we have something here that, that the Old Testament saints longed to look upon. And don't look at what, at what Jacob experiences here at Beersheba and go, yeah, that's what I want. I mean, we have God's word. 
We have God's word. Right? He, he speaks to us here, right? And he, he comforts us here. And he confronts us here. We have something better, right? As amazing as what we see here is, let's just be clear. We have something better. In response to all of this, Jacob is obedient. And he leaves Beersheba towards Egypt. He's been authorized to go. He's received permission. Slip signed, right? And so we see the sons of Israel carrying Jacob, their father, and their little ones and their wives and the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and they came into Egypt. Jacob and all of his offspring with him, his sons and his son's sons with him, his daughters and his son's daughters, all of his offspring is brought with him to Egypt. There is this emphasis here. Right on like the totality of the work of the Lord to bring this family into this land. I'm not going to reread that which Josh has already so eloquently read for us this morning. The point is that there is this, there is this completeness that's being drawn out. Right? There's an account here. We see the names of the people. These are, these are, are real people and the Lord was really faithful and he brought them all. All the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. We see that in verse 27. Now, why is this important? I just want to point this out because this really does assist in shaping our understanding of the magnitude of God's work under great oppression and difficulty in Egypt as this nation is developed. If you understand this, if you see this, then what God accomplishes by way of multiplication in Egypt becomes much more amazing. Under such incredibly difficult circumstance, this sets us on a, on, a, on a really solid contextual trajectory to understand the first few chapters of the book of Exodus, okay? So keep that in mind. Store that away. If we finish up Genesis and you decide, all right, I'm going to continue on and see how the story goes, um, that will prove to be a most helpful point. The offspring of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob all transition into Egypt as God works through his chosen people for their good and their joy while working with the nations, that being Egypt, to bring about his plan of salvation and blessing. By faith, everything and everyone near and dear to Jacob is transported to Egypt. Right By faith, Jacob would entrust his drought-stricken family to the offices of Egypt. And by faith, he abandons the land promised to Abraham and Isaac to venture down. Last point, just a few moments. Jacob and Joseph are reunited. 
Verse 28, he had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. There's special attention paid to Judah here in verse 28, which might be a little bit surprising given the emphasis we have seen on Joseph over recent chapters. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and he went to meet Israel, his father in Goshen. He presented himself to him. Holy cow, this is an amazing encounter and it's only given a verse, (laughs) right? He presented himself to him and he fell on his neck and he wept on his neck for a good while. At this point, you're due a good cry, aren't you? It's been a long time. We've seen a lot of things. We've been a lot of places. The Lord has been faithful. Let's cry for a minute. Verse 30, Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I've seen your face and know that you are still alive. If you're all familiar with the story of Simeon and Anna, it sounds very similar to what we see here from Jacob to his son, Joseph. He says, I've seen you and now I can die. Simeon says the same thing as he goes into the temple following the birth of Jesus, as he takes the Messiah in his hands, he gazes down upon him as insight has been provided to him by the Holy Spirit. And he says this, he says, your servant can depart in peace. I can die now, right? There's this, there's this sense of, of completion that has taken place. Moses draws his attention towards Judah. And, and it would be him, not Joseph, who would play this most crucial role in bringing about Israel's deliverance. We see this in Genesis 49. Here and in Genesis 47, we see this, this, this concentrated effort. To contrast the work being done by Judah and Joseph. Judah leads the brothers into Goshen. And, and, and Joseph devises this plan that results in their being able to live there. We see that as we continue on in the story. Verse 31. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household. I'll go and I'll tell Pharaoh. Uh, and we'll say to him, my brothers in my father's household were, uh, who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keeping of livestock. And they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? Hey, say this, we're keepers of the livestock from our youth until now, both we and our fathers. And when you say this, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be given the land of Goshen because every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. And so let's make sure that we have this plan in place that ensures you're residing in the land of Goshen. All of this worship, all of this confirmation, all of this comfort, all of this reunion leads us towards a series of questions. As we think about how we respond, how all of this is applicable this morning, I want to give you a series of questions. Here's the first one. Number one, do I worshipfully pursue the Lord and his desires for my life when making decisions? Do I worshipfully pursue the Lord and his desires for my life when making decisions? Proverbs 16 verse 9 says this, In their hearts human beings plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Through Genesis 46, we are encouraged to, to look to the Lord. Do you believe that this is true? Do you believe that Proverbs 16 9 is true? Is this observable? Is it identifiable in your life? Are you most concerned with faithful, worshipful decisions that honor God, expressing a heart of gratitude for salvation or something else? We have to answer this question. This is a question that we all have to answer. 
God calls Jacob and his family out of Canaan into Egypt where he will provide for them, where he will multiply them through hardship before delivering them in this really miraculous way, setting his people, sinners, saved by grace to inherit a crown purchased, not by their efforts, but by Jesus's, who, as we will sing in just a moment, also left his home. Left his home to to seek out the lost, knowing the great and terrible cost. In spite of all of this, his face is set. We are sought out by compassion, saved and kept by grace. Jesus pursues us. Now, in the strength of the Spirit, we pursue his will. According to his word and worship and in sacrifice, is this where you are? Is this where you are this morning? In your family, parenting your children, prioritizing your time. We each have to ask ourselves these questions. This is challenging. And the good news is found in Genesis 46. And that is this, that we are not alone. That we are not alone. The same God who goes with Jacob down to Egypt, multiplies his people, and then delivers them is the same God who is with you and I today in life and in death. Those who look to and trust in Christ will not be abandoned. Why? Well, because at the cross, Jesus took that for us. We are not abandoned. We are not left alone. We are not left into our own devices. Jesus has taken that upon himself at the cross for us so that we might know reconciliation with the Father and the comfort that he provides. In verses 28 through 34, we see Jacob and Joseph finally reunited. They are reconciled and it is amazing, but it is but a shadow of of a greater bringing together that God accomplishes at the cross. We are restored. We are reunited with God. We are and can be reunited with one another and we will one day be reunited with our king. And we are reminded of that as we come to the table. And so as we close out our time, I want you to consider this. As we come to the table, there is a sense in which we are um, enjoying benefits of relationship with Christ now while looking ahead to benefits that will be experienced in the future. If you're a Christian, we're going to invite you to come to the table and we're going to invite you to take of the bread and the cup, symbolic of Christ's broken body on the cross, right? Symbolic of Christ's spilt blood on the cross to rescue us, to to redeem us, to bring us back into fellowship with God. And we enjoy this as a sense of divine fellowship with God. Why? Well, because if you're a Christian and you come to this table and you take of this elements, You are indwelt by the spirit of God and you enjoy fellowship with him on this side of eternity only, right? Man, we have a day to look forward to in which we will enjoy table fellowship with God and with one another anew in creation, absent of sin. Absent of brokenness, absent of evil with our king. What a beautiful story of of reunion that we kind of see come to a head here in Genesis 46. It makes us desire the same type of reunion, similar experience with God, which we can know and, and will know 
because of the finished work of Jesus. And so as we come to the table, let us consider these questions and let us worship. Let us sacrificially worship through the taking of the elements, through our giving of tithes and and offerings, through our singing songs together. We've got to close it out. We've got to worship. We're going to worship. Let's pray together. 